Okay, good morning, everyone. Wow, I got a couple of good mornings there. Hey, no, uh, no cast or splint. Uh oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a good thing we prayed for this guy. Good morning, sister. Um, well, we're going to be in James chapter 3 this week. Also, before we begin, Julie wanted me to r- remind everyone that the 50 hours of prayer and worship event that's happening at the cross begins this Thursday at sometime, I think it's six or so, uh, somewhere, sometime in the afternoon. And uh, it'll be from Thursday night until Saturday evening, just straight through the night at all hours of the day. And so uh, some of us will be up there participating in that and worship and prayer and things, interceding for Kerrville as a whole. Um, So just so y'all know, that will be going on. Also, all of our messages are online. So if you've missed a week, if you want to hear Pastor Mark's sermons from last week, from three years ago, from... As far back as they're updated, they're online for, for you to listen to or, and on our Facebook page. So before we begin, uh, let me pray for us just one more time. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, that your word is the lamp to our feet, that it guides our paths, Lord God, that the fear of God is the beginning of understanding and wisdom, Lord, and I pray that we would learn to uh, fear you, but that your grace, mercy, and love would quench every fear, Lord God, and that that divine mystery of who you are would dwell in fullness in us. So Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would speak, that I would just uh, be a tool, a servant for you to use um, for the edification of the body, Lord, and that you would have your glory. We thank you that you are the pastor of this church, Lord, that you are our Lord, our Savior, and uh, you deserve all glory. So we thank you and honor you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, this morning we're going to be talking about the desire to teach. And it's interesting, you, you get to see certain things in the scripture. Um, and there's a lot of things that I think Paul and James and, and the writers that they're really saying without saying. And what I mean by that is when you read through how Paul describes spiritual gifts and how the church should operate, and you read some of the issues that the apostles are addressing in the New Testament, even though they don't always spell out exactly what the confrontation or the conflict was, you get a pretty good idea of what was happening in the church. And one of the things that makes that really useful, at least to me, is I begin to see that, you know, they were dealing with the same stuff that we're still dealing with today. You know, Satan, uh, his methods don't change very much. He's got a small bag of tricks, and he just you know, reformats them. And so today we're going to talk about the desire to teach, and that's a great thing, but we're going to talk about some of the concerns, some of the pitfalls, um, and some some of the qualifications for people desiring to be a teacher in the church. Chapter 3, starting in verse 1, James writes, "'My brethren, let not many of you become teachers.'" knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member 
and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the image or the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie about the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen? So James chapter 3, I had originally uh, intended to just preach on, on a portion of this, and save the last portion for, for next week. But I realized something, um, and that is, you know, we could, we could spend at least three weeks in this chapter. There's a lot of ways you could divvy this up. Whole sermons could be written on um, teachers, on the nature of the tongue, on the nature of wisdom, right? But what I realized that God really wanted us to focus on this morning is that this whole chapter is, is spoken of in the qualification of teaching. And you know, it's interesting today, and I'm, I'm sure the same was, was true in Paul's day, and I honestly, looking at the context and how he's writing, I believe that this is what Paul was writing about, is that today there is this idea that somehow being a teacher, being a Bible study leader, being a pastor is like the pinnacle of Christian ministry. Right? That that is really the revered spot to be in. That if you can stand up and someone is going to allow you to, to teach and you have your little Wednesday service, that you're doing real ministry. And, and it's a great work. It's a, it's a good gift. But that's really a very flawed mindset. And I think the, the, the American church, and I don't know about the rest of the world, but I know about us. The American church has done a really bad job of fixing that image. You know, when we look at the writings of the scriptures, you know what Paul says about spiritual gifts? He says there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. There's gifts of service. There's gifts of prophecy. There's gifts of healing. 
There's gifts of administration, of giving. He even writes that, you know, for those who have been called to lead, lead diligently, right? There's so many gifts in the body. Why do we focus so much on just teaching? He also says of offices, the way, the way I list offices in the church is I see there are um, offices of management, elders and deacons, kind of guiding the works and the general congregational efforts um, of the church. And then there's these empowerment offices. Uh, Paul says apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher, right? And there's a lot of ways that those can, can be used together, can operate, that do not entail you know, standing up and preaching on a Sunday morning or, or a Wednesday night. There are orphans and widows to visit. There are wheelchair ramps to be built. There are homeless men who are, who are cold. There are hungry people who need to be fed. There's the brethren that need to be encouraged and edified. We've got people in the hospitals that could be visited. And somehow we believe that Christianity is summed up in a tie a Bible, and a sermon. And I think in his day, the same issue was, was beginning to build in the Christian com community. It's interesting, however, the very first words of this chapter is, my brethren, let not many of you become teachers. Well, that already seems to, to go against the grain a bit in our normal Christian mindset, right, in that, in that area. That not everyone should become a teacher. You know, Paul says that the body, we are all part of the body, we're all individual members of a greater body. Christ is our head, right, and then we've got little pinkies, and we've got ring fingers, and we've got elbows, and kneecaps, and all of these things that are supposed to work together, that we're supposed to be knit together in love, and that the Holy Spirit who gives us gifts, according to his choosing, by the way, that we're supposed to be knitting these things together so that we're all whole and strong and we can work together. And Paul very specifically writes, hey, if the whole body was an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole body was a, was a mouth, this is me, me paraphrasing now, where would be the hands and the feet to move us around and to do the work of the gospel, right? There's the word of the gospel and there's the work of the gospel. Where would those things be if we were all teachers? In fact, if we were all teachers, who would we teach? <laughs> would we just have an endless teacher convention where all the teachers teach each other? That would be interesting. I think that does happen, actually. Not many of you should become teachers. There's, there's slots needed for that. But you need to know that those who are teachers are going to receive a stricter judgment. A stricter judgment. Now I want to pause there for a moment. I, <laughs> I just want to say that that alone, for, for us to rush into thinking, oh, well, we're going to go teach and we're going to go lead and we're going to do all these things, if we're aware that there's a stricter judgment and we're still kind of quick to jump to that, that's a very foolish decision. There should be a natural fear of God that, that says, hey, maybe I need to consider this very, very carefully. 
Let me ask you something. If you were a, um, a trade school administrator, so you've got a trade school, you know, you've got all these different things that you're training people to go out and do in the workforce, and someone showed up at an interview, and you were, gonna, you were looking for a welding teacher, okay, a welding teacher, and he, this guy shows up, and he starts talking about all the different models of the welding and all the different types of welding you can do, and, you know, these bars and these bars, and under these conditions, you need to do these things. And you were very impressed, and you said, oh, okay, this sounds very, very good. And he said, well, we'll just step over here. Would you mind just welding this together, and we'll, you know, as soon as we can just see that you know what you're doing and you're, you're, you've got it together, you know, it's, we're sure you do, then we'll go ahead and hire you. And the man said, well, well, I can't weld. You'd be like, what? We just had a 30-minute conversation. You knew all the right words. You knew all the, the, you know, the technical things. And just, just weld. Well, I mean, I can't weld. I've never welded before. Would anybody other than me be a little confused at that interview? And they said, well, I mean, just show me what you can do. And they started welding, but things were falling apart. And, you know, there was metal flying everywhere. You would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, man, I appreciate you know, your desire, I'm, I'm, you're a very knowledgeable man, but like, maybe you should go weld for a while. Maybe you should get some experience. Maybe you should get some wisdom in this trade so you have something than book knowledge to pass on so that when these students are in trouble, when they're struggling, when they're looking for wisdom through areas that the textbook does not address so plainly, that you have something to pour out to them. Maybe you should go get that and come back. Would anybody say that that would make a little bit more sense? I think so. I think so. And Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, James, we're going to see, is making that same point towards the end of the chapter. That the beginning and the end are the bookends, and he's going to present some issues for us. He says, hey, if you want to be teachers, first of all, we don't need a whole lot. We need enough, but we don't need extra and you need to be very careful because if you're teaching, you're going to be held accountable for every single word you speak. Do you know that the scriptures say that you will be judged by every idle word? That terrifies me. Every idle word? That's why sometimes I'm good with just shutting up. I'll let you talk. <laughs> if we're going to be judged by every idle word, how much more the words we willingly say? the words we arrogantly say, the words we speak to be true, having no idea that they're false. It's a scary thing. And Paul presents a couple of issues here. For one, he's going to present the responsibility that comes with teaching, and then he's going to uh, present the um, dangers, the dangers of being in the position of teaching. Let's look at that. He says, first of all, for we all stumble in many things, and if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Now, I'll make a note real quick before we, we, we get into that. Do you know where the Bible tells us that our words come from? Anybody? Your heart. From the abundance of the heart, one speaks. For those who have stored up good things, good things come forth. For those who have stored up bad things, bad things come forth. And he says, hey, we all struggle. We all stumble. We all get it wrong. And if someone was able to be perfect in word, 
So that's such a, that's such a heavy thing. That's such a difficult thing to control. If you could control your tongue perfectly, you would be perfect. You'd be able to control all things well. But if, you're, if there's a struggle in the general things of life, in the general applications, how much more your tongue? So be careful before you teach. I believe that's what James is getting at. And he says this, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, we are turned, or they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is, little, is a little member and boasts great things. You see, there's a responsibility in the way we use our tongue. I want you to take these illusions from, from a horse and a ship to the body, that when someone is standing up, what, the way they're speaking, the truth they're declaring, they're affecting, I'm a, you know, affecting the way people think, the way they're shaping their understanding about God. And if someone has been put in a place as a teacher, it's their job to guide things through the storms, through the struggles, to turn the whole body. It's a, a teacher is a small member, but there's a great responsibility there. There's a lot of power that could be misused in that position. And if that's not a, 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 an office, a gift, an empowerment granted by God, to sustain you, to keep you from stumbling, I would be real slow to walk that direction. You know, it's interesting, um, and I've probably shared this many times, but um, you meet a lot of young people, and they're young, and they're, oh, I'm going to be a pastor, and they have all these great desires to teach and things, and, and almost every time I've ever seen someone who just in their own zeal wants to be a pastor or a teacher, it's like, it never seems to go that way. It just Never seems to go that way, right? And that can be not just for teacher, for, for anything, really. Um, I look back at my own life, and, you know, probably a year or so before I ended up becoming uh, associate pastor here at the church, I was at a, in a bus barn telling my buddy Wade, man, evangelists are crazy. How are you just going to walk up to random people on the street talk, talking about Jesus? Like, they're going to throw something at you, and like, maybe I could, you know, do a little Bible study one day, but I could never be a pastor. That's just not me. That's what I said. And it's almost like God is like, ha, <laughs> okay, buddy, you know. But it's not in me. It's not in me. It's not in Pastor Mark. It's not in whoever, you know, in themselves to fulfill the role, to be able to teach well and to, to rightly divide the word of truth. It's not in me, in my own strength. And if I had to rely on that to do this job, I would, I'd go make websites full-time or something because it would be a hard, hard, terrifying thing. There is an empowerment that comes to God that is necessary to fulfill such a responsibility, and that's the same for any place of ministry, right? Any, to love someone with their whole heart, to be able to come and to serve and to set up chairs and to just, you know, be let people step on you and, you know, just because you're trying to love them and do that with a full heart, there's a special gift for that. To be able to make a lot of money and just give it all away, and instead of giving 10%, to live on 10% and give 90, there are people who do that. There's a special gift that just enables the heart to do that in love. And whatever that is for you, we need to do it. But again, 
Sometimes people try to put square pegs and round holes, and that's not, that's not a good thing. And there's a danger as well. It says, see, um, halfway through verse 5, it's kind of weird that a paragraph breaks in the middle of a verse, but, I, you know, I didn't do it. Um, see how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh so first James is saying, hey, there's, a, there's a, a real concern here that this little small piece of the body, this little rudder, has the ability to turn this whole ship. And in the middle of storms, like you want someone who knows what they're doing at the, at the uh, what's that called? Helm. There you go. At the helm of the ship, right? You want someone who is, who is experienced and wise and tested and proven to be leading that. In the same way, the tongue is a dangerous thing. The temptations, right, to speak or, or, to, or the possibilities to speak uh, evil or, or unjustly, man, it can set on fire. Such a small little spark. In Proverbs, it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Such a small wor- word can set ablaze a whole fire. You know, um, do you know why the temple was destroyed in 70 AD? Other than, you know, the judgment of God. Uh, a Roman officer or general or whatever he was, he came in on, on the decree of Nero and he stole money out of the treasure, treasury of the temple. Now that was not the issue. I mean, it was an issue, but it was not the issue. But as he was walking out, there were some, some Jewish people who were passing around a hat and saying, oh, let's take alms for the poor general so-and-so. And they were mocking him because he was stealing money from the temple. And he was so angered by their words that he started crucifying Jewish people over that, and it started a rebellion. They kicked out the Romans. The Romans came in and, and completely destroyed everything. And it started with just a few mocking words. A few mocking words leveled an entire people. It's very dangerous. And so here's the thing. There's a, I think there's this, this misconception that we can have that um, somebody who can talk the talk, they know the right words, they know the Bible, you know, they can say all these things. Oh, well, they're, oh, they're a teacher. Let's just plug them in. Or on the other side, or, oh, I know all these things. I can, oh, I can say it. I can speak eloquently. And, you know, I deserve to be a, a teacher of some sort. But I want to refer back to our welding example. And I want to put in the mind of the church that there's things much more important 
about someone serving in a place as a teacher rather than how many Bible verses that they can memorize. And James answers this. That he's still in the context of not, not to allow many of you to become teachers. And he says here, starting in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? I love that question. It's a very challenging question. He's challenging the listeners in that. Because isn't that the heart of someone who seeks to be a teacher? Oh, well, I'm wise and understanding. I can fulfill this role. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. And what he's saying is, if you think you're wise, if you think you're understanding, then great. Let me watch, and I'll see. Let me watch, and I'll see. If you're a great welder, well, then just weld this pole. It shouldn't be too hard. Good works, good conducts, meekness of wisdom. You know, there's a difference, and this is, I think, the main point of issue here. There is a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom, right? My, my, my son, Caden, he was just in here, we, you know, has behavioral problems and is just kind of everywhere. And He's very smart, very smart, very helpful, very loving child. He knows a lot. He knows the rules, right? If you ever see me being really hard on Caden a lot, it's because he knows better, very clearly, <laughs> And so he's, there's not a knowledge problem, there's a wisdom problem. He's not, he does not have the wisdom to apply that knowledge effectively and consistently. And so there is a concern for his uh, well-being. <laughs> and there should be a concern for him for his well-being, but there's not, unfortunately. And so, you know, there is this divide between what he knows and what he does. Right? Right? And the, the, the gap of that divide is the gap in our wisdom. And for someone to, to know that you need to li- live in a pure and holy life is a big difference for some, between someone who has been living a pure and holy life for 20 years and has been tested and approved and is able to counsel men and women through hard and trying times because they've been through it over and over and over and found blameless. You see what I'm saying? And that's the issue. And he says, hey, who of you thinks you're wise and understanding? Let me see it by the meekness of your wisdom. That if you truly have understanding, the, the basis of our wisdom, it comes from God. And he's about to say this. And it allows us to be patient. The greatest definition, the thing that's helped me more than anything from meekness has come from Pastor Mark. And he explains um, meekness in terms of, of horse training. And the best horse trainers in the world they're very slow and methodical, and they, his exact words, they take the time it takes, and then it takes less time, right? And for me, what I've gotten, he, he might have even said these exact words too, but basically what I've gotten, my understanding of wisdom, or my meekness, is meekness is knowing how to not force an outcome, not stepping ahead of things, not rushing off, not being moved, but being able to be still and wait on God. And let God have the time it takes. And, and there's a trust factor in meekness to understand that God is able and is going to pull these things through. That's the meekness of wisdom. 
And so when people are get riled up and they're moved quickly and all these things, and, oh, you know, because I know this and that, it's like, slow down, buddy. Slow down. Let me see your good conduct. Let me see the proof of this knowledge you claim to have. And let me see the meekness of your wisdom and your character in your heart, in your life. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. And I think, I, I really believe he's talking about the same thing that so many times, that's where this desire to be a teacher and trying to step into something rather than being placed into something by the Lord comes from because there's an envy there's an envy, right? Pastor Mark did a funeral at um, Calvary Temple, and no, I don't think that's where we were. He did do that, but <laughs> there was somewhere where we were, and he was buttoned up, and maybe it was a graduation ceremony, actually. I know, he was all buttoned up and had his tie on, and he was up on a stage, and he was speaking just so well, and um, I was like, man, you look really good up there, Pastor Mark, and uh, that's a nice platform for you, you know, <laughs> and uh, we, have a great, we have a great shepherd here, and, you know, there's a lot of things that people could look at and say, man, I want that. I want to be in that place, and there's an envy that can happen because there are gifts that Paul says. Some of them are, are more modest, right, and they're behind the scenes, and we actually need to give them more honor. That's what the Bible says, side note. And then there are things that are, are, because of the nature of their ministry, are less modest. They're open, right? And that openness sometimes causes a self-seeking and enviness, and we set our minds on things that are, are really truly foolish. And we, and we end up just being unfruitful where God has called us to be because we're trying to be fruitful where God has called us not to be. And again, that's not just about teaching, and there's not like some, like we're having this problem in this church that I know of, so I'm not trying to harp on anything specifically. I'm just preaching the word of God, right? But that addresses an issue in our heart, I think, in many places when we understand here what's going on. Do not boast and lie against the truth. You don't need to make yourself more than you are. You just need to be who God has called you to be. And you don't need to lie about things and deny when those issues of your life are called out. And there's, there's someone in particular that I know of who I, I think of every time I, I see this because they have this view of themselves and this boasting of themselves. And anything, anything, anytime anything is spoken against that, just in like, hey, that's actually not true, there is, they suddenly start lying about the truth in all these different ways to maintain some image. And it's, it's like destructive and um, it's crazy. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion in every evil thing are there. So if we have someone who wants to be a, a teacher, but that desire is based out of envy or, or maybe a secret seeking for themselves, and we know that James tells us, hey, if that's their confusion and every evil thing are coming with it, is that the guy we want to put in place? Everybody do this. <laughs> no. And Satan is looking for young Men and women, we're not even, doesn't, I don't know why I said young, age doesn't matter. Um, but looking for men and women who are, who are overly eager and zealous so that he can corrupt that zealousness and mislead, right? But here's 
James says. If you want to know what real wisdom looks like, if you want to see what some qualification for teaching looks like, real wisdom, if you want someone to be able to teach people and guide them through struggles, they need to understand how to do it themselves. You need to see in their life wisdom and meekness, good works, so that people have something to follow, right? And he says, true wisdom, wisdom that is from above, is first pure. It's peaceable. Their lives and their teachings are not full of conflict, right? Not, not full of, um, what's the word, calamity or, or strivings and, and drama. There you go. That's the word I'm looking for, drama. That's a good one. It's gentle. Someone who can teach with gentleness, who can speak the truth in gentleness, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. The Bible's very clear. You want to know how to tell a true prophet from a false one, a true teacher from a false one? Look at his fruits. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Because remember, if those, are, those issues of their heart are there, they're going to manifest through here at some point. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Pretty simple. If you're going to hire someone to teach welding, make sure he knows how to weld. If you have a desire to teach, praise the Lord. First of all, allow the Lord to teach you. Allow the Lord to be taught. Be fruitful. Be faithful. Be steadfast. And in due time, you'll be able to share from your experience and from the storehouse in your heart that God has put there. And allow him to place you. You don't need to place yourself. If you have to place yourself, that's not meekness. That's not wisdom. That's striving. And be careful, church. Maybe you depart from here one day. You go to another church. Maybe this church is going to be electing uh, future te- more teachers in the future. Be careful how we choose. And let's see the fruit of a man's life. That we're choosing people who are tested and approved. Because zealousness can a lot of times be a, uh, a facade. And so quickly, and I see in other churches, and I'm friends with some of these people, and that's why my heart is so broken. I see um, they, they see a young kid come in, and they're a big church. Oh, we need a youth pastor, and here's a young kid, and he's excited about the word, and you know, he's got some biblical knowledge, and he's doing some stuff, and they, and they plug him in, and they have no idea, they have no idea that his theology is way off, that he's struggling with all these sexual sins, that he's drinking with his buddies on the weekends. They just see his zeal for the word, and they see an excitement, and they think, ah, oh, this is the one. And there's no testing, there's no prayer, there's no concern, and there's no discipleship to that teacher to help him, help him stay on base. And so for us, we need to understand what these requirements are so we can guard ourselves and we can guard each other. We can guard each other against false brothers, false teaching, right? And putting people in the place that they shouldn't be because we love them. Amen? Let's pray, guys. Let's ask for some, uh, some wisdom from above for our week. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you disclose the hidden things to us ahead of time so that we can be prepared, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would cause um, 
good works to abound in our church, Lord God, but that there's plenty of places to serve, Father, that our hands would be dirty for the gospel just as our mouths are active with it. I pray that there would be a balance in those things. I pray that we would see that just to love our neighbors is a ministry in itself, Lord God. Just to visit those in trouble is a ministry itself. And help us, Lord, prioritize the works the way you prioritize them. Lord, not the way the world has shown it to us. Help us humble ourselves, our hearts. And we pray, Jesus, that you would fill us all, Lord, with the meekness of wisdom. That we would be pure and peaceable, full of good fruit, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that we would not have the problem, uh, or that we would have the problem of having so many qualified people that we'd have to seek your face to find out which ones are the ones you're placing, Lord. But teach us to be content wherever you have us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.